0: about the Naga, the Naga has a lot of different terms, but it relates uh, in interesting ways. There has some uh, intersectional points uh, in modern Buddhism. Uh, the The legend that the Buddha taught um, a special Dhamma in a non-physical form and and that was preserved by the snake people until human beings were ready to receive it. Now, of course, that's all a legend but the snake people are known as the Nagas, the Nagas. And one of the most powerful influences of modern Buddhism was Nagarjuna, um, who is impossible to understand. Uh, I, would, I would, just, just for um, giggles, you might want to read something by Nagarjuna and compare it to what the Buddha actually taught, just to see how far, it, Nagarjuna must have been a brilliant, brilliant man, um, but just to see how far someone could take the Dhamma in the direction they hoped it would be um, when, when this chapter actually speaks to true wisdom and the wisdom of restraint in other words rather than letting your mind go that far into, a, into deeper corruption and deeper delusion this chapter teaches how important it is to do the one thing a mind rooted in ignorance does not want to do has great aversion to it and that is control its own mind in fact, you could say that even society today is geared towards um, the reaffirmation of never controlling anything, always grasping after more. Uh, and that's so exemplified by the way we're living our lives today in this world. There's, there's um, restraint to scoff at today, uh, rather than understanding that it is the key to true happiness and true security. So, uh, and also the placing of this in the, in the Dhammapada is interesting. As I said a few weeks ago, these last five, six, seven chapters um, are putting a very fine point on Dharma practice, and here the Buddha is describing the culmination of, of the path in a very human way, and also notice the personal nature of this particular chapter, where the Buddha is really describing um, his own um, direct experience with the Dharma. Oh, we lost Matteo and... Mateo's back. Just let Mateo come back. He lost the connection, I guess. Welcome back, Mateo. The Nagavaga, the wisdom of restraint. The Buddha's words, like an elephant remaining calm in battle, I will remain calm when falsely accused. Again, these beginning sentences are so informative. And then the Buddha says, many in the world are ignorant of four noble truths it might be difficult to see the connection there. But what's the Buddha saying? When falsely accused, meaning when the, when a light is shined on me and I'm falsely accused, meaning, and it's not necessarily being accused, falsely accused of a crime. It's not being seen clearly. And I react to that because it's not the it's not the projection I want out on the world. It occurs, the Buddha tells us why other people are seeing us in this way. And it's because we see other people in a, in a less than skillful way, it's because many in the world are ignorant of four noble truths. The tension and chaos and, and, and conflict in the world are a direct result of the world being ignorant of four noble truths. Now the Buddha is going to tell us why it's so important to develop that, um, that mind of a tamed elephant. The tamed elephant, well restrained, can be mounted by a king and ridden in a crowd. It's useful now. When we can tame our minds, like an elephant is tamed, so it's useful in battle. And when we can tame our minds in that way, now our minds are useful. And what are they useful for? Are they useful for for, for um getting as many as much gold as you can, or the biggest car, you know, or the or the, the, the prettiest spouse, or whatever whatever we think we might be? No. We use it for awakening.
1: And the, the, the way he says, it can be ridden in a crowd, <clears throat> is telling too. Yes. We, we can actually use our mind being out in the world yep. and not mm-hmm. cause harm.
0: Yeah, such a, such a good point. Thank you, Rob. Did everybody hear that? Again, the metaphor, the, the Buddha uses the metaphor of an elephant in different uh, suttas, and I won't get into them, but they all relate to taking control of our mind or deepening our concentration. Foremost are tame mules, thoroughbreds, and tuskers, elephants, all well restrained. Foremost among people are those, I could say likewise, well restrained. Again, you know, the Buddha is, um, he's almost, just to use a word, he's almost being sacrilegious in relating a human being to an animal. But he's he's not saying that we should be like an animal, but we should be able to train our minds like we're able to train other animals so that they become useful. Again, he's emphasizing the direct approach. It's something that we we must do. It's not something that occurs out of grace or merit. It's not if we do a million prostrations or do enough chanting or the right rituals or have the right beliefs and hold the right saints in mind that we'll, we'll gain something of benefit. No, the Buddha is saying control your mind. Control your mind. Stop looking outside of yourself. Not by tamed amounts does one reach nirvana. So it's not by what we're doing outside of ourselves. Those self-restrained, having regained control of their minds, always do. If we want to know how to always do this, how to be successful, regain control of our mind through the eightfold path. <laughs> a tusker deep in rut, constantly distracted, is difficult to control. Bound to a post, they won't eat, longing for freedom. A person, overfed, wallowing like a pig, gives birth again and again to ignorance. Overfed. How how does one become lazy and overfed? By a lack of restraint. In the past, now again, the personal nature of the Buddha here, Siddhartha, in the past, my mind wandered aimlessly where it wished, always seeking satisfaction. This is how we live our lives as human beings. We're conditioned to think that the purpose of life is to always be satisfied. That the purpose of life is to establish a permanent state of satisfaction where nothing can intrude on that satisfaction. Of course, that's impossible, isn't it? The Buddha starts out his dispensation by saying that's nonsense. Dukkha occurs, the first noble truth. As a consequence of having a human life, there's going to be Dukkha. There's going to be stress and suffering stop taking it personally. Because it's not. It's simply as a consequence of having a human life. This is a basic teaching of the Dhamma, and it's realized through wise restraint, not grasping after more, or grasping after whatever we hope will provide the aversion to what is dissatisfying to us. I'm going to preface what I'm about to say by my own words. Instead of grasping after pleasure, Take your pleasure in mindfulness. How simple could a teaching be? How simple could happiness be and satisfaction in a conflict-free mind? It's rooted in mindfulness, but a refined mindfulness. It's a refined mindfulness that's rooted in jhana meditation that is able to hold in mind the Eightfold Path as our way of relating to the world from that framework and guidance of the Eightfold Path. Guard your own thoughts. Lift yourself out of the mire of ignorance like an elephant from the mud. What a great visual, isn't it? Lift yourselves up. The Buddha is almost pleading, us from 20, pleading with us from 2,600 years ago. Lift yourselves up. It's up to us to do it. But we don't have to do it like Siddhartha Gautama did it. He had to figure it all out on his own. All we have to do is follow these simple directions and develop an Eightfold Path. Overcome any obstacles. To find a wise and prudent friend established in the Dhamma. Again, the Buddha is reinforcing that that, uh, profound understanding of wise associations. Overcome any obstacles to find a wise and prudent friend established in the Dhamma. Keep their company with mindfulness and joy. Keep their company with mindfulness and joy. Rather than the common human trait of, of getting into competition or breaking them down. If no wise and prudent friend established in the Dhamma can be found, it is then better to go your own way like, like a king like a king leaves a, leaves a conquered village or a lone elephant in the forest. Let me read it again because I messed it up. If no wise and prudent friend established in the Dhamma can be found, it is better to go your own way like, like a king leaves a conquered village or a lone elephant in the forest. So if you can't find a wise Dhamma practitioner to help you along the way, the Buddha is saying it's much better to, to go alone than to associate with something that is simply comfortable for you, because it's just a distraction. And I can tell you that, I mean that's my, that's my experience. I couldn't develop the Buddha's Dhamma until I left all the other associations behind. And at that point in my life, I had a lot of them. I mean, I was, you know, I was a part of um, a couple of major sanghas and temples. Um, within a couple hours of here at close associations with some of those teachers uh, and it was difficult at first but I realized that my liberation um, resided in me turning away from those associations like the Buddha taught here it's not easy you know especially when we have um, we've developed close friends with people uh, and maybe even family members that are practicing something that that just contradicts what we're trying to do here. But we also learn through the Dhamma, and the Dhamma provides the uh, focus to remain conflict-free when no one else is doing what you're doing. In fact, that's the key to the Dhamma. To practice something that is unique. Remember the Anapanasati Sutta, where the Buddha taught, even during his time, that those who were actually developing the Dhamma were rare and unique in the world. It's just the way it is occurs yes that's a good that's such a good point thank you David um, and this this chapter points it out again and David's making that point the lesser the, the, the lesser pleasure is in outside acquisitions or or the outside aversion to things that we don't want to happen to us. Safe relationships. Yes, especially relationships. But the Buddha says, find pleasure in your mindfulness, in what you hold in mind. Mindfulness means to <laughs> recollect or to hold in mind. So what are we ultimately holding in mind? <coughs> what are we holding in mind? What's the proper response when something is distracting us or causing conflict? Reaction. A
2: reaction to it.
0: What's the response? This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. Anytime you find a, a distracting or distressing thought, that's mindfulness. Reminding ourselves over and over again, there's nothing personal here.
3: That's the greater pleasure.
0: That's the greater pleasure. Mm-hmm. The greater pleasure is in dispassion, an impersonal relationship with the world. And many people will reject that out of hand, Simply because they can't fit themselves into that notion. What happens to me when I let go of all self-referential views? Poof! You're gone. But all the difficulties that you have in the world are gone at the same time. see who that is. Excuse me for a moment. I think, that's, I think that's my old friend Devlin. How are you, Devlin? Devlin? He hasn't joined us in a while. But it's good, to, good that you joined us. Okay. I was just reading the sentence and I wanted to characterize it. Um, again, it's another one of those profound sentences. Um, live carefully. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. Live carefree like an elephant in the forest. The Buddha is describing how we should live in the world. Carefree like an elephant in the forest. There's nothing out there to affect us. Except our own minds. Once we've gained control of our minds, we've gained control of our moment-by-moment experience of our human life. Establish seclusion and abandon harm. There is no fellowship with fools. Better it is to live alone. Fortunate are, are wise friends when needed. Fortunate is contentment with what occurs. Fortunate it is to end ignorance before death. It's quite an admonition, isn't it? Before death, because you don't, you don't have any choice after it. You're done. Fortunate it is to end suffering and awaken. In this world, it is skillful to serve one's parents. In this world, it is skillful to serve monks and nuns and disciples. Skillful it is to develop virtue. Virtue. Skillful it is to persevere. Right right effort. Skillful it is to restrain mindlessness. And skillful it is to, to develop wisdom. That's this chapter. Simple and direct and right to the point, coming towards the end of the Dhammapada, it's making that um <coughs> putting the emphasis on what is this all about? We've we've heard all heard a lot of words. There are a lot of words that are connected to the Dhamma, but it comes down to what am I holding in mind? Am I holding in mind the principles that are developed through the Eightfold Path? Or am I, am I holding in mind what, can, what is only prone to ongoing ignorance, to, to making me become further ignorant? Or in this moment, am I practicing wise restraint? And now I can become awakened, fully human, full human maturity. That's the talk today. Let's go online. Uh, Brian, how are you this morning?
3: Good, John. How are you?
0: Good. Thanks for asking.
3: Um, the, yeah the the practice of guarding your your thoughts
4: and
0: not
3: not going down the rabbit holes um, eventually leads to that that seclusion within your mind and then it doesn't necessarily matter if you're in the forest or you're in the city you're you're still a a city and a forest under yourself and there's just a lot of contentment in that which is what i got out of this film thank you
0: yeah thank you brian yeah we, we realize that we're just a reference point to what's occurring in our own life and in that way we're involved in our life in this moment so thanks brian good morning steve good to see you
4: Good morning. Good morning, everybody. Happy holiday.
0: Uh, it's very interesting point about guarding your thought. It means uh,
4: you're not suppressing. You're, not, you're just not a touch. You're not a it's, you know, it's very important because if you try to suppress, it's kind of
0: like the manipulation. Of the yeah. That's such an important thing to see. And even using the word guarding your mind um, points to as a guard would say yes you can come in and you can't we learn to guard our mind we learn what we want what we don't learn we practice wise restraint do i want to hold this thought in mind or not and that's the choice each and every one of us has each and every moment of our lives and it it, it becomes again that's why i use the word refined mindfulness it becomes just that refined we have the choice of every thought that we have is our choice until we restrain our minds, it doesn't seem like it's our choice at all, does it? I mean, most people who come to meditation are come because they feel like they can't control their minds. They, you know, we've even given the words like monkey mind and that type of thing. Uh, we know that we need to do it. Very few people are actually able to do it, though. Even, I mean, my, my inclination in Eastern philosophies wasn't to calm my mind. It was to find new repositories for my mind, new ideas, like, such as bilocation or clairvoyance or that type of thing, being able to see past lives. That's what I thought was the point of so-called spiritual practice. And it was. It was my spiritual practice for many years. It just kept me running around in circles until I realized what was most important. I wanted to learn what it meant to be a human being. And nobody that I came across could teach that until I found what Siddhartha Gautama taught, which is how to be a human being. Thank you, Steve. Good morning, Mary.
4: Morning, John. Good morning, everyone. Um, the simplicity of this is very nice. It's uh, a reminder um, when you find yourself at odds to, that you can get back on the path. Yeah.
0: And um, I found it very useful. So thank you, John. Thanks for joining us, Mary. Good morning, Matteo. Hi,
1: everybody. Uh, yeah, I uh, yeah, like uh, what you touched today, especially the part when you say, uh, you know, to have a kind of careless approach, uh, to be like an elephant in the forest. And uh, I have a very practical question. So uh, um, so in, in a period that we're living now, you know, in this pandemic, all this stuff, and uh, I think it's very... Not impossible, of course, but very hard to be careless. Whatever come around right. you, because like in somehow, maybe will affect you. Uh, a very silly example: if I got infected by somebody yep. that doesn't behave, it's, it doesn't. It doesn't depend anymore to my behavior to be careless or not. How how can I, I can apply this, this this sutra on that? How I can control my mind when the, when something is yep. is out of my control? Yeah.
0: That's such a, such a great question, Mateo. And again, it shows an understanding of the Dhamma. How can I do it when times are really bad? Of course, that's when we should do it the most. But we can only do it by, again, the, the, this, this chapter points to it and the whole Dhamma points to it, by dispassionately and impersonally seeing the things that are occurring in the world, including a pandemic like this. So we understand through the Dhamma that sickness, aging, and death are simply a part of having a human life. That doesn't mean we chase after sickness, aging, and death, but it does mean we acknowledge that that's simply a part of a human experience. And then we do whatever we feel is appropriate for us to take care of ourselves. There's nothing wrong, and there's nothing um, self-referential about taking good care of ourselves. Even Siddhartha Gautama says, Every human being needs four things, food, clothing, shelter, and medicine. He didn't teach an ascetic life that we should imagine that we're, that we're free because we don't need anything that that a human being needs, but we recognize it with wise restraint. So I know there's a pandemic out here. If I'm in a large crowd, maybe I should wear a mask. If you're someone who believes in it, I'm not I'm not promoting one thing or another. I wanna be clear about that. But if you feel that, that you are safer if you wear a mask in a crowd, you wear a mask in a crowd and you don't think twice about it. That's not eye-making, it's just being prudent. It's the same as eating a good meal. we need to eat good food in order to keep our bodies alive. There's nothing self referential about that. But if you're obsessed with it, if you're stuck in a corner of your room afraid to go out because you might get a virus and die, that's eye making. And that's where the dhamma in a well concentrated mind can help you because it un because then we understand that yes, it's a it's a um it's a special time in human history, but not so special. There's been pandemics before but I'm living within one now what's my mindful response what's a response from a well-concentrated mind that understands the Eightfold Path and understands that sickness aging and death is part of the human experience it's a conflict-free response It might be wearing a mask it might be getting a vaccine it might be deciding all kinds of different things but those are done calmly and dispassionately just as a practical matter so I hope that helps Mateo Thank you, thank you, yes. Thanks for the question. Um, Tom, how are you?
1: Hi, Tom. I'm good, thank you. Um, Yes, I'm listening with much um, interest, uh, but I will take noble
0: silence today. I'm glad you're here. Devlin, say hello, please. Hello. How are you, Devlin?
4: How you doing? Hi, John.
0: Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. Yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad yeah. you made it. I know you came in on the the last half of this, but uh, did, did you? Yeah, I had the
3: schedule wrong, so even though I'm a bit late,
4: still, still glad I made
0: it. Yeah, I'm glad you did too. I'll, I'll post a talk later today if you want to catch up on it. But uh, yeah, it's good to good to see you back online with us. All right, let's go around the room. Uh, we'll start with Julia. Julia, good morning. Oh, no,
4: good morning, John. I really like this uh, this sutta. I like. Well, there's a lot of metaphors in here, and I'm an English teacher, so. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, um, that's right. But um, the one thing that really, that first line where he says about the um, the tamed elephant, well restrained, can be mounted by a king and ridden in the crowd, uh, to me, that's a very strong uh, image. Yeah. You know, because uh, the king, to me, represents the absolute power of the mind, mm-hmm. and the elephant, I thought, represented the five, like the five clinging aggregates, and so mm-hmm. the mind controlling the aggregates. Moving, yeah. you know, using wise restraint, but moving through the phenomenal world—it's just—it's just a very strong, uh, image, you know, yeah. uh, and of how we are supposed to manage ourselves in the in the, pheno- in the phenomenal world. So I really, um, I, I mean, there's too many of them. There's too many little, you know, things. But um, that one, that one really, uh, that was a strong one for me.
0: Yeah, that's the right take too. The, the elephant represents the five aggregates, the, the personal experience of suffering but you can take that Mm -hmm. suffering person and control them, or that person can control themselves and so end end their suffering. You
4: could could actually see the the image of the king, you know, maneuvering the the, the elephant. That's our mind, that's the way we're supposed to maneuver ourselves in the world.
0: Yeah, while they're walking gracefully through the world.
4: Exactly. (laughs) and Making it look like it's it's perfectly okay just walking through the crowd direct, you know? It really
0: is. Again, from 2600 years ago, this, this metaphor, I mean, I don't think any of us have ever ridden an elephant, but yet, yet it's a perfect (laughs) metaphor, isn't it? You know, it really makes the point. Thank you. Thank you, John.
2: Morning, Michael. Morning, John. Um, there's a couple of, uh, really interesting things in this chapter. Um, I like several parts of it. Um, live carefree like an elephant Mm -hmm. in a forest. Mm -hmm. Uh, That, to me, is telling me to recognize the not-self. Recognizing the not-self, and what does that do? It enables me not to become entangled with anything that is not practicing the dhamma. Um. Yeah. So, I like that, I, and again, when we recognize not-self, not-self, it forms dispassion, because we're now recognizing things that are, do not constitute the self, yeah. right? So, I think that's, I try to, you know, I try to do this this recognition of, of of just that of just not entangling myself with anything that is self-referential, and I find that to be the most the most I could do in the moment. It's all you can do, to, to stay, yeah, instead yeah. to stay concentrated in that. Um, I also like. And has said this several times. Uh, um, he mentions to put your effort, your right effort, into establishing the dhamma before death. Yeah. But two chapters ago, he actually the line, uh, the way it was presented, there was he speaks with an urgency for you know for us to hey. Instead of entangling yourself with what's going on in the world, practice the Dhamma. You know, uh, be skillful and practice the Dhamma. Because, and I got that from like the intensity uh, from, again, uh, any uh, from that ch- chapter uh, a little bit ago. I got that it's almost like someone, someone you know, maybe my father, telling me to hey, listen, you don't have a lot of time. Get to doing what's what's important in this life, or else before you know it, this life will be gone. So there is an urgency there, but there it's is. a skillful urgency to to recognize what the dhamma is. Yeah. So that's just basically what we got So Thank you very much.
0: Yeah, thank you, Michael. You're, you're making that point that no matter what it is in this moment that's distracting us is the living death that the Buddha talks about. It doesn't matter what so it do it now you know the, the, all the you know the big piles of gold that you're chasing after that's got nothing to do with human life you know if you want to have it have it now so thank you for making that point
2: good morning Adam good morning John <clears throat> thank you for that thank you everyone for your insightful comments <clears throat> so far uh, like Michael and Mateo I was also um, the the image of the living carefree like an elephant resonated with me yeah. nice isn't it same what I think is interesting though is I mean, I, is that is that carefreeness is actually a condition of restraint? Yeah. Uh, oh yeah. And that I think is is what's it was very striking to me. I think it kind of also points back to the uh, the grip of the greater pleasure that David referred yeah. to. You know, rather than sort of uh, like being pulled in every direction by these things outside of you, those lesser lesser pleasures, the greater pleasure of restraint is really a, is ultimately a carefree
1: condition. Yeah. Actually, I think is fascinating. It
0: is. And, and when you think about all the things that you wanted in your life, think about all the things that I wanted in my life, not one has brought me any kind of lasting happiness. Nothing. Right. You know, I mean, I think about the big things. There was a, there was a time in my life I was making a lot of money, and I made sure I knew it, and I kept buying new cars every year. And it was one of the, you know, just financially, one of the stupidest things I ever did. <laughs> and, but but I, I, I still remember the first time I bought a new car. I think I've probably said it here a hundred times. Or I still—it was, like, was a Cutlass Supreme. It was the hottest vehicle out there, built. <laughs> and I still remember driving off the car lot. It was in Summit, New Jersey, out of the garage, hitting the street for the first time, and my first thought was, "I just lost twenty percent." Oh. <laughs> I couldn't. Realize. I mean, I, which is oh, true, man. but my own greed—I couldn't. I couldn't enjoy the brand new car. Sure. You know? Yeah. And I thought about that. I probably bought it three or four new. Ones. It sounded like I did it for years. It was only a few years, but I thought that way every time. And it's just, it, and the the idea didn't make any difference because the image of I'm successful, I should have a new car. You know, it's just there was no no good reason for any of that, except I thought it was a good idea for me to do. Pure eye making. It cost me a lot of money. Thank you, Adam. Hello, Kevin. Hello,
2: John. Thanks, everybody, for all your wise comments. And, uh, I think also. Um, really Buddha points out the refuge of the Sangha, you know, overcome any obstacles to find wise and prudent friends. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. to his day friend. Establish in the Dhamma. Keep their company with mindfulness and joy. So it just really points out the importance of the Sangha. Yeah. And even after, you know, not being here for two weeks, it seemed like an eternity. It's still so great to come back.
3: Yeah.
0: It did seem like an eternity. I'm glad you're back. Good morning, Becky.
2: Good
5: morning, everyone. Good morning, John. Thank you, um, Kevin. That was that was great. I felt the same way because I was only gone for one week, and it's just so nice to be back. Okay. And and I have my I have my refrigerator quote <laughs> for the uh, for the far and near future. Instead of grasping after pleasure, take your pleasure in mindfulness. Because that is where it is. That's, yeah. that's right for you, right there. Yeah. And if you could just stay there. once It's so nice to be there when you get there for a couple of seconds every day. If you could just yeah. stay
0: there. <laughs> <laughs> you point out the difference between concentration and Live mindfulness. Concentration like gets the you elephant. there. Yeah. I'm sorry.
5: Live carefree like the elephant.
0: Yeah. Just,
5: yeah.
4: And Somewhere why not? There.
5: Then why not? Yeah. Just
4: change your mind. Yeah, that's it. That's, <laughs> that's it.
5: all you
4: have to do. Go yeah. get another one. Right. <laughs> Thank
0: you, John. Brother Ken is right. You know, it's okay to lose your mind. You just go get another one. <laughs> <laughs> and we do it all the time, don't we? Thank you, Becky. Dollar oh, Teacher David. Hello, John.
3: I go back to Mateo's question, mm-hmm. and then Good I bounce over to an elephant being carefree. Mm -hmm. And what's that mean? It it means your karma. Your your karma of there's no judgment. And I was going to ask you a question. In all your previous practices, was there judgment? Everything was about judgment. Everything was about judgment. And this practice is about not approving of something, but accepting of everything and the equanimity that you live in and that carefree word is a little casual for me Yeah. but that elephant
0: is equanimity yeah. so that's what I got yeah,
4: that, that, that,
0: it's excellent you know, again that, how, how can I live without a care in the world? by not being entangled in the world if I'm not in it, why should I have a care about it? But, but I can only do that if I understand what's occurring in the world. The first noble truth. You, know? you see, everything just comes back into that resolution of understanding the nature of stress and the debilitating nature of our preoccupation with stress. You know, as exemplified as greed, aversion, and deluded thinking. Thank you, David. So I'm to Jen.
5: Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Um Yeah, this has been a cool discussion. I think everybody <clears throat> sort of addressed Mateo's question, which also um kind of brought me to that same phrase, live carefully like an elephant in the forest. And What I heard in Mateo's question was, if you reckon, if you're, if you're seeing in yourself reaction to the stress of the world, if you're seeing in yourself <clears throat> that you are defensive or fearful or. Desirous to remain healthy, um, does that mean, you know, kind of what do you do? And, or are you off the path? Or have you done something wrong? You know, I think that is distracting. That's the distraction, is when you start to ask yourself, what do I need to do in order to not be afraid or in order to not feel defensive? Just continue to practice. So, you're doing it. If you have, like Michael said, recognized that your mind is, that you're experiencing angst, Mm -hmm. then you're, just keep practicing. I think... Like Michael's, I mean, I'm sorry, like David said, um, live carefree can feel like, oh, well, how do you do that? You know, but the answer is that you continue to practice. So it's not like you have to choose, you have to choose wise restraint. You have to continue yeah. to choose it and choose it and choose it and choose it in order to, live carefree.
0: Yeah. Well said, Jim. Yeah. The, the, uh, we, we can't be carefree if we're taking anything personal. And a thing like a virus that um, may kill us is hard not to take it personal yeah. until you really understand it. And even... I mean, and I'm talking about just in practical terms. The, the practical terms are um, it's very, very rare for anybody to die from this particular pandemic, even though millions of people, or hundreds of thousands have. There's a lot of people that live in the world. There's a lot of people that didn't die from this. And again, I'm not saying that we should be careless because being carefree means that we are careful enough to go out into the world and know that we're doing everything we can, but we're not losing our minds over things. And you could say that the difficulties that arose as a side effect of the response were because of that. But it, even that is understandable. That, that can't be different than it is either. How, why can't it be different? Because it's what's occurring. Yeah. So we got, I can't remember how many billions of people there are in the world, but every one of those people is making a decision based on what they're holding in mind. Those of us that have developed a Dhamma and have a well-concentrated mind and understand the basic nature of dukkha—birth, sickness, aging, and death—not getting what we want, having an ongoing personal experience of stress and suffering—is having a human life that is unawakened. Now we can move to a well-concentrated quality of mind that understands all of this, and so because we are, we understand what's occurring. We can be carefree while being careful. Mm. It's it, Mateo, you brought up such an important point because it so relates to what everybody's going through
2: today.
5: But a dukkha occurs, sickness, aging, and death occurs in, in the external phenomenal world, but it also inc- occurs internally. So it's the it same can, yes. application. When, you are, when you're having reactive thoughts to fear, that's mm-hmm. dukkha. That's, yes. That is. That's
0: the entanglement in the world.
5: That's the entanglement, yep. and so that's just another factor of existing in the world is having a mind that you know can is rooted in ignorance in this moment. Yes. So what do you do? You come back to the breath.
0: Yeah. The, the carefulness is is that level of mindfulness, and again, as Becky was talking, I I, I interrupted by saying. It shows that it's not concentration and jhana and mindfulness are not the same thing, jhana and sati. Concentration supports mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Because in that Mm -hmm. moment, you have to be well concentrated enough. Mm -hmm. When the virus is slamming you in the face, (laughs) well, I was going to say to take a breath, don't take a breath. (laughs) (laughs) And don't take it personal. Because it's not. Because that same bug that's chasing you is chasing everybody else. Mm
3: -hmm. And if you think about it, there's... We look this up because this is what we do there's seven billion people got how many 70 million people died last year how personally did you take anything outside of the virus mm-hmm. not very it happens every year and yeah, it does it's every year at a steady pace yeah and it got the most publicity it's tragic but it is impersonal yeah
0: Yeah, the 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 virus didn't kill anybody on purpose because it wanted to. You know, it's it's just something that's in the world and it's always been in the world. Unfortunate side effect. (laughs) Well, yeah, but there's always been since since we first looked out of the caves. There's always been, you know, there's been saber-toothed tigers that were chasing us down back then. So again, it's not. And and it's it's not to be Pollyannish about this. There is something real going on in the world. It's called the world. It's what always goes on. What is my response going to be? At each and every moment, I have the choice. Am I going to lose my mind over this or not? And it's easier to lose your mind over something that might kill us as opposed to coming across a beautiful flower. But we still could lose our minds over it. In one way or another, or am I going to maintain a, a, a well-controlled, peaceful mind? And that's what Matteo's question asked, and it led to this great discussion. How do we do it in a practical way in the world that we live in? Just this way. Remember the Loka Sutta, such an incredible sutta. The sutta that the Buddha described his view of the world just post his awakening. He said, I looked out on the world and what did I see? I saw a world inflamed with the fires of passion. Relating to the last chap, last week's chapter, Helen Bona. How do I let go of that? Do I am I engaging in a passion that the world be different than it is, or am I simply taking careful decisions about what's occurring in the world? And in that way, we remain carefree because we know we're doing everything we can within this structure. You know, within a structure that that might kill me, but we just don't know that. And again, so where does that take us? What's the immediacy that that drives us to? Let me awaken right now. Because I don't know when the cow or the virus is going to get me. We don't. And when I know that I'm doing everything I can to, 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 to address and maintain a certain quality of mind, I know there's nothing else I can do. And again, that's where the carefulness leads to the carefreeness. Because I've been careful enough to take to the dhamma and awaken. And now I can live in the world, no matter what's occurring in the world, in a carefree way. Because I don't have to live forever when well, I sure as hell want to live in this moment. Yeah. Dhamma, teacher Ram. Um,
1: yeah, this last line, actually, this last stanza, um, covers a lot uh, regarding Mateo's question. In this world, it's skillful to serve one's, one's parents, you know, do the things that that need to be done. Yeah, um, and it's skillful to serve monks and nuns and disciples. But then it is skillful to develop virtue. Uh, so it's just you know, take care of being in the world and do it skillfully. At the same time, you know, take care of of your mind.
4: Yeah.
0: That skill well said, Donna, teacher. Yeah, it, and he, he, it relates directly to the pandemic too, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, we should take care of our parents, make sure our parents are okay, our neighbors are okay. We should be doing these things. That's not eye-making. That's being a compassionate and wise human being. But we don't take it personal. We don't do it as a savior. We do it because we understand the nature of suffering.
1: And he was specifically talking to householders in this in this, yeah, in this right. Very carefully. Yeah. Um, so you know, this this
0: pertains to us. Yeah. And again, so the Buddha is teaching us that no matter what, no matter what pandemics are coming down the pike, or any or wars or anything else, take to the Dhamma and awaken, maintain a conflict-free mind, and in that way, you can still serve your parents and your neighbors and your your wise Dhamma teachers and each other. And we can we can live in a um, in a well-focused sangha, carefree here because we've established a refuge, you know, the triple refuge right here and right now and in our lives. Uh, it really is remarkable. I think as a sangha, you know, when I think about uh, all of us in this sangha, or international sangha, and, it, you know, there's, uh, there's probably, I haven't thought much about this, recently. there's probably 40 of us that meet on a regular basis. Uh, there seems to be about 16 or so in every class. Um, and of those 40 or so people, By and large, we're maintaining a a rather carefree way of living in this world. I think that's remarkable. Because like the Buddha said, you know, the world is aflame. It still is. But we're no longer aflame, are we? Uh, Anybody else have any questions or comments about today's class? No? Okay, we'll finish. Um, I mentioned, I think, about a holiday dinner, but... It's going to be after the holidays. Um, it's either going to be uh, January 13th or January 14th. We can talk briefly about that. Mm. Uh, my thinking now is it's going to be Friday the 14th. I just want to talk a little bit more about that with our teachers. Um, and I'm going to mention the Gen Y in just a moment. But January uh, 14th would allow Brian to come out here if he, if he wants to and can. Uh. Uh, and, just, and he could hang out for Saturday's class. So I think we're going to move it to Friday night. All right. Friday, January 14th. And uh, we'll be finishing up this Dhammapada structured study uh, with three more classes and then to finish out the year we're going to have uh, five or six classes uh, specifically on karma and rebirth and the meaning of intentional becoming. What am I becoming in this moment? It's just a nice way to, to finish out the year. It was inspired by a talk that Rama and I had a couple days ago. I think it'll be good. Now we're going to start the year out with the Truths of Happiness Dhamma study. But we'll finish today with uh, the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. So again, take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud of demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child her only child, So with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being free from all sense design. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.